Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Innate. We hear it from our podcast guests frequently. Today's capital projects require the highest degree of visibility. That's why we at the Project Chatter podcast want to tell you about construction project management software from Innate. It's software that integrates every aspect of your project and puts you in control. Innate's cloud-based solutions provide a connected data flow that improves efficiency and guides better outcomes across the entire project lifecycle. See what Innate software can do for your next construction project. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Is your company proactive when it comes to scheduling? Many companies believe project schedules are just the requirements of the contract, but companies looking to gain an advantage strategically manage their project timeline, resources, and budget. Plan Academy helps construction companies improve their project controls through immersive online training courses. At Plan Academy, your team can learn construction, planning and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and can save your company thousands when compared to costly in-person training. Visit planacademy.com forward slash chatter to download course outlines and talk to a training specialist now. Hi everyone, this episode is brought to you by Just Do. Just Do is a portfolio project management tool we've been using at Project Chatter. Whilst all other systems cater for small teams, Just Do caters for teams large and small, plus it has no set hierarchies, meaning your structure, your platform, your workflow. I agree, Val. While Just Do is simple to use, it also has a lot of powerful functionality. My favorite is the task-specific chat. Yes, and for all you slackers out there, don't wait for Monday. Do check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. In this week's show, we welcomed Elizabeth Harron to talk about effective stakeholder engagement and, mul- and managing multiple projects. Elizabeth is a fellow of the Association for Project Management and has written six books about project management. She also writes the award-winning blog, A Girl's Guide to Project Management. Now, Val, this was a shortened version um, because we did have some time limits on it's not our usual long form, but we got some meaty aspects out there. What were the highlights for the listeners? Well, I think we, we laid the baseline and we talked about the difference between management and engagement, and we certainly got to the root of where stakeholder, the word came from, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I agree. We, we did some Googling in the background as well. So um, folks, listen out for that. Martin, did you have anything you wanted to point out? Yeah, another interesting podcast, um, usual stuff that we would have expected around how making people feel valued, um, creating a compelling story. But yeah, she just really brought the subject to life, uh, which was good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We did have a little synopsis of Clubhouse because she's quite active on that near the end. So listen out for that one as well folks but yeah it is a shortened version but nonetheless enjoy hello project people welcome back to a brand new episode of the project chatter podcast it's always good to have your company remember to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player and youtube if you want to see our bloopers and our friendly faces dale martin's good to see you guys now i want to give a bit of a plug you've got the project controls group networking event coming up why don't you give them a bit of info 
Yeah, exciting stuff. So Val, I think you launched it in Oz very successfully. Uh, what you had two or three events and you had some amazing turnout there. Free event, no gender, come along, meet like-minded people. And we decided, hey, what, you know what? We're out of lockdown in London or in the UK. Let's let's have one in London. So yeah, 21st of October, if you can come along. Yeah. It's uh, on LinkedIn. So check out Project Controls Group. And yeah, no strings attached. Just let us know if you want to come along and be awesome to see you there if you're in the London area. Um, I know Martin and myself will be there. So um, come and meet us in person. Martin, are you looking forward to it or uh, yeah, are you a bit, bit scared? Yeah. No, looking forward to, to meeting people again. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, we've been open since the end of June, I think. So yeah, it'll be good. I think a couple of our former guests are coming along. So yeah, it'll be great to meet them in person, finally. Rub it in, Martin. Rub it in. <laughs> Let's get to the, the podcast today. We've got an interesting subject matter and we are joined today by Elizabeth Harron. How are you, Elizabeth? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. No, it is our pleasure. And, you know, usually when we start these, we always ask a very important question, um, the origin story. So mm. this particular topic, you know, stakeholder management engagement is very, very important for all projects. But how did you get into it? How has this become your passion? Well, I think it's because my passion is not the technical project management. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, you either gravitate towards project controls um, and the, the more formal technical stuff, or you gravitate to the people side. And I've always been more interested in how people tick and how things actually get done and the informal power structures within organizations. And I just think that, you know, if you're a good people person, it doesn't really matter so much about whether your risk log is pretty and your schedule is perfect because the people come with you on the journey and you can get the change done. So I suppose mm. it's been a working preference of mine for a while and then it ended up just being an area that I figured that I'm personally more interested in, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I, I do, I do think as well, the word stakeholder, um, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this. Where did that word come from? Because it's a, it's primarily used in projects. Um, you don't talk about having a party and bringing over your stakeholders. No. Uh, generally, um, is that is there a history to that word? Do you know where it came from? That's Why a really do we use interesting it? question. I don't know the origin of it, but if you look back, I mean, I've been doing some research for a new book, and some of the older academic papers I've been reading still talk about stakeholders. So it certainly got, you know, it's got pedigree. But I, I just interpret it as someone who has a stake in the outcome of the project. So somebody who has a vested interest of some kind um, in what, what it is that we're doing. But I think it's got broader since, you know, more, more modern ways of thinking about projects, teams and communities and how organisational change happens. I think we're probably expanding the definition of stakeholder to be not the to couple of people that get the outcome of your project, your customers. It, it's a more generic term now that means anyone who's kind of touched or affected by or believes they have an opinion about your work mm, i did um i was googling while we, we just had a look there and that was a great definition so the, apparently according to the oxford dictionary uh the the word stakeholder first appeared in 1708 meaning mm. the holder of a wager oh, oh wow. okay literally holding the stakes yeah well yeah that's what i thought about it i always used to have this image of someone holding a stake uh, not but that it's, of, it's not that kind of steak. The money is. Yeah, well, I'm hungry. Yeah. You know? 
<laughs> no, it's it's great. I was thinking I think about staking well, the ground. Uh, yeah, well, it, it's got multiple meanings. That's why was, it's an interesting way to um, to kind of, I guess, group uh, people and talk about them. And I think this is a really good topic matter. So let's get into the subject and, and start talking about effective stakeholder engagement. So, how, you know, obviously that topic is quite broad and we can go anywhere with it, Elizabeth. But what does effective stakeholder management mean to you or engagement? Well, I think that's that's an interesting point to start with. Is it do we talk about management? Do we talk about engagement? Because if you look back at, mm. you know, how I learned project management, however many years ago now, we always talked about stakeholder management. And when PMBOK five came out, they had their stakeholder management section in there. Um, but that's really old fashioned way of thinking about working with other people now. And personally, I've switched towards more engagement, although it feels more like a buzzword. If you don't treat mm. it like a buzzword, you unpack it a little bit. It's just more around treating people nicely and as equals and not having that arrogant attitude that you can manage their behavior because project managers don't and can't. Often we're working with senior stakeholders. Often we're working with just people in the organization who we don't really have any influence over. You just do your best to get through the day and you have to bring them with you on the journey, like I said, because otherwise you don't get what you need done. So yeah. engagement for me is a better term because it's talking more about partnership and, you know, starting out with those equal footings and trying to, to create an environment where everyone feels like they're valued and their opinion matters. And yet they still get done what they need to get done. So the project gets finished. Sorry, yeah, I, I didn't actually I, answer I, your question, no. did I? <laughs> to remind you no, what no, the question good. was. <laughs> we'll come back around to it always. Uh, but it's... It, it is, a, it is an interesting point because I think it's one of the harder elements of being a project manager or being in project management is, is organizing people, right? Yes. And getting them all to fixate on a compelling vision that gets them all to focus and point the right way because obviously you can't deliver a project without people, which we, we, we know this. Um, but but we, when it comes to attitudes, personalities, you know, different types of people, the melting pot of project management, you know, everyone's coming from different backgrounds. How do they do that? What's what's the easiest? So you land in a project mm -hmm. and you know the project director go, well, you know what? One of your criteria, your objective, your performance objectives is engaged stakeholders. You need to manage these stakeholders and make sure they're fully engaged and, and all lined up in the right direction. How does one go about that? Well, the common vision thing is good. Harder to do in some projects, but on the best projects I've worked on, we've had the common vision. So two spring to mind, both software projects where we were, one was implementing radiology software in hospitals and we all knew exactly what we had to do and why we were doing it. And the other one was decommissioning a piece of software that was end of life and putting in place the new one. And again, that's very much a burning platform in that it's an end of life piece of software. Oh God, I'm talking in acronyms today, sorry. All the corporate buzzwords. <laughs> you, you know, you take out the, if we didn't change our, software tool we wouldn't have had anything to run our business on so it was everybody mm. could at least understand this project had to happen and when everybody's lined up behind the goal you might not like it it might be awkward it might create conflict and all those bad things but ultimately it's going to happen and I think that's the that's the first thing to think about is how can you create a compelling story to help people understand why this project needs to happen and often you know the, the, the story might be we're closing this office because the company wants to save money and in you 50 people you're now out of a job it's a you know not not a great story for the people mm. who are affected by it so if you know you know if you can con condense your story your project into 
two sentences to explain the benefit, then at least you you understand what the impact is going to be on other people and whether they might like to follow you on that journey or not. And then that can shape how you do the engagement because engagement is just talking to people, really. I mean, I wrote a whole book about it, but it basically boils down to just talk to people and treat people nicely. <laughs> um, so understanding what you want to get out of their involvement in the project. And for some people, it might be to leave the company and not hate you. So to try and make that transition out, let's say we're on this project where we're closing an office, hypothetically, you'd want to help them transition into new roles and leave the company and think that you manage that really well for them, even though they ended up being unemployed. Um, or mm. it might be something totally different, like you're, you're trying to get a team leader to brief their team on some upcoming changes, or you want to suddenly go agile, not suddenly, but you know, you want to shift to agile ways of working, you have to sell the benefits of that. So if you know what you want the behavior change to be, what you want the outcome to be, then you can work back and think, how can I best achieve this given what my goal is, what the audience is, and you try and put all the pieces together. Does that make sense? Hmm. No. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes sense as well. Um, I was just thinking, because I think you danced around it a little bit there at the end, Elizabeth, around, you know, knowing what you want and are you achieving it. But I guess, unfortunately for, for you, you've got myself, Phil, and Martin, who are all project controls people. Yes. And we want to measure <laughs> stuff, right? So okay. I was thinking right. to myself, how, how do, do we measure? measure engagement? Right? Perfect question. That I, and and act, sorry, just Garrett, carry on. Just, just to follow on from that, how do we measure if it's effective? Well, these are excellent questions. And um, I've heard another book called Customer Centric Project Management, which touches on that. I don't know whether it's up to project control standards, <laughs> but I'll tell you what we did. So we had um, a process we did where we ch checked in with stakeholders every month. Um, you know, projects tend to have lessons learned or you do your retrospective and everything, but typically it's a case of you wait till the end of the project and then you look back and go, oh, what did we learn? What can we do differently? And it's very much, how can I help you do things better? Now it's too late and hopefully some other project in the future will benefit from our wisdom. But, you know, we did nothing about making any of these changes while the project was happening. So we scrapped that and we did monthly check-ins with stakeholders, measuring our own performance against targets that they set for us. So at the beginning of the project, we would say, what are your most important success criteria? And they'd sometimes need a little bit of help to work out what those would be, but they would typically be things like, um, we want good communication, we want um, projects to be delivered on time, although in healthcare that was very much not a factor as much as I was expecting it to be. That's a different story. Um, and what else did we have? We wanted actions to be trans recorded properly i'm trying to think through what the finance department came up with but within our big project we had five four or five different work streams and each work stream leader set these things that were important to them so once a month i would sit down with them and say how are we doing as a project team serving you with you know, providing you with our project management services um, against these things that you said were important and let's take good communication as one they would then have to rank us on a scale of one to ten how are we doing in okay totally subjective probably not suitable for the project controls world <laughs> but the best that we could do with these kind of woolly criteria around people um and then they would give us this number so and then i'd say and how can we make that better how can i go from a six to a seven over the next month 
And opening that dialogue meant that we had a conversation about what good looked like. And then I could go away and say, well, these ones I can work on. This one, the one guy said, um, when I said, how could we be better? He said, um, well, I don't want to have to do the change control process. I'd rather just, you know, it would look better for me if I just had all my changes go through approved. Right, well, I'm not doing that. Uh, so, but it opened up the opportunity for us to have a conversation around why change management was actually a thing and why it was important. And then, you know, he didn't get what he wanted, but he got to understand a bit more about the project management process and why we did things the way that we did. And then ultimately we got to a point where, you know, people were repeat, reporting that we were doing a good job. And we very much used those subjective scores out of 10 to plot performance um, and to track when it dipped because people were very honest about saying, this month's been rubbish you know the newsletter didn't go out on time we didn't have this meeting you've you've been unavailable you know it, we need to turn it around and i'd be able to say okay i can take that feedback on board and i know what i need to do differently and i can work on that and be better so we try to do that kind of continuous listening and continuous process improvement kind of but yeah when you're talking about stakeholder satisfaction and measuring engagement those kind of subjective measures were actually really valuable. We could at least then have conversations about how much we've improved and we could evidence where we were and where we were going and what we were doing. Um, and that there is one other way of measuring effectiveness and that is, do you get the behavior change that you're expecting? So if I want to do a piece of engagement, which is basically telling people that they have to brief their staff and they don't, then I know that that particular effort has failed or you know 50% of people brief their staff and the other 50% haven't then I can go back to that and think what was wrong with my communication did we not give them enough time was the briefing notes not adequate should I have walked them through it in a different way are those people visual learners and I sent out a list of text instructions how can I shift it so that next time I get a better result so how does that sound from a project controls perspective because you guys all look like ah this is not enough no, it, it's interesting. I think we're just very attentive because we, we mm. we've had to learn quite. Um, to, we've had to learn to pick up our listening skills and, and take in because, as we said, it's unscripted. So we're listening intently to what you are saying, ah. and you raised quite a number of points there that I, I was thinking around and took me back quite a number of years ago. I was asked to come up with some sort of way to assess our suppliers on on a project. And everything that I researched, because I've never done this before, was qualitative. It was mm. all based on, you know, ranking and ratings and things like that. But as a controls person, I wanted something binary. I wanted a yes or no answer to the question. And that's how I came up with the KPI. And it was totally different to any other questionnaire, because either yes or no, you, you, there was no argument about it, no yes. subjectivity. But I think there is some value in subjectiveness as well because you can then provide some context around it. it's not it's just not yes or no so i think maybe a, a blend would possibly help um so that's my my comment around mm. that so so yeah sorry did you want to come in on that just you could totally do that you could say to people did we meet your needs or not yes or no make it into a binary thing um but the assessing of stake of suppliers is an interesting one because we use that same process with our suppliers and we, we told them at the beginning of the project that we would be rating their performance for us on our criteria out of 10 each month and we would you know be giving them that feedback but we were very much 
focused on a supportive environment. So we, we went for the carrot rather than the stick. And my IT director was very anti having clauses in contracts around um, penalties for downtime and stuff like that from a system perspective, because it doesn't actually help improve performance. It just punishes people for bad performance. So if you, we, we, will, we always try to approach it from a very positive, we want this behavior, therefore we want to incentivize the behavior that we want and not, you know, not focus too much on the things that we don't want and just have conversations with people about what we can all do better so yeah behaviors yes. is a behaviors <laughs> is an interesting one as well because i i think the notion out there is behaviors change actions but i think actions change behaviors it, it, it's a cycle yes yeah. and um i was talking to colin ellis not that long ago who's over in the australia with you nodding yep. and he yep yeah, he was um you know, he comes from the approach that trust, that the idea that trust is earned is ridiculous and, you, you know, trust is assumed in the kind of jobs that we have and the work that we do as project leaders, you assume trust until it is broken. You know, it shouldn't be a case of, you know, we have to go out and try and forge these relationships and, and build trust because it should just be there because the culture of an organisation should be such that we have that level of respect for our colleagues and if you have if you go into something with that attitude your actions shape the behavior of other people's attitude other people's behavior because they they level up to where you expect them to be i think yeah it's a bit no, like kids absolutely. Isn't it? yeah it, it, it is it is and colin's great we had him on the podcast i think two seasons ago so uh yeah he's fantastic we need to get him back Val. Mm -hmm. um maybe talk about his whiskey tours that he does but, uh, <laughs> he's probably in lockdown exactly. at the moment uh, but no, I, I agree. Colin's got some fantastic energy as well about Colin. Yes. Um, but I did want to ask one more before I hand over to, we've got a new name for Martin, Machine Gun Martin, and I'll explain Ooh. that in a second. Um, but I want to know, how do we know what actually drives engagement? Because one thing you can say, well, it's my efforts and, you know, I'm, you know, trying to perhaps motivate or inspire people. But what if it's just purely down to, well, I want to get the bonus? And it's the cash that's actually driving the engagement. How do we really know what's driving engagement? Well, that's individual, isn't it? Don't you think it's to do with the individual person and understanding our team levels of motivation? Because I did a, um, a leadership course and I did it with a bunch of working in healthcare. A lot of the people were frontline healthcare providers. And so when we had this, what are you motivated by? Understanding our team motivation type exercise and everyone was filling in their forms and we were all chatting about our responses. Most of the people were like, oh, I'm motivated by helping people. I'm motivated by, you know, serving my customers and saving lives and all this. And I was like, I'm motivated by money. So, you know, that's, uh, if you fill in the questionnaire and it came out with, you know, your drivers at the end, but it's all very personal. So I think the best thing to do as a project leader, a project manager is to, understand your team and the people as best as you possibly can and then tailor how you work with them to get the best out out of them so just you... ask them directly and hopefully they're telling you the truth yeah but i think you can also pick it up from what they do i mean i've worked with people who are motivated by learning new things and you see that in their enthusiasm every time you give them a different task i've seen people who every one-to-one -one, they've come to me and said how do i get the bonus you know, you think, okay, you're motivated by money, which as a project manager is a pretty tough one to deal with because we're not really empowered often to give people salary rises. Mm. But you can advocate for people in that situation. So I can say things like, you know, you're on a secondment with me. I'll write a lovely letter to your line manager and fingers crossed that that counts for something. But ultimately, you can't 
necessarily deal with people who are motivated by money by giving them more money because it's not in your power. But people are motivated by, you know, understanding their position in the bigger picture, knowing that what they're doing is actually having an impact on lives. And I think maybe I'm looking at it from a very simplistic perspective, but in healthcare, that's really easy because, you know, even as an IT person in the back back office where you never see patients, you know that if your computer systems that you support go down, operations get cancelled and people have to live with their disease for another day because they haven't had their life-saving surgery. And that's horrible. And I mean, and that happened. We were putting X-ray, new, new X-ray technology in. And on one, one day, the computers didn't work and the surgeons had to go back to the old way of working. And the, the fact that we inconvenienced them through providing an IT solution that on that day didn't work was awful um, and so it's really easy to see the direct connection between what we did and how that affects people's lives and so perhaps healthcare makes it easier to see that link but you could if you can find that link for people then you can help them the people who are motivated by understanding their place in the world and, and knowing that they're doing something that has a bigger purpose then you can join the dots for them so I think it's, yeah, knowing knowing your team as best you can and doing the best job you can to try and create an environment where everybody gets what they want. Yeah, no, very, very valid points. And um, thanks for sharing. And I, and I like the story you used there as well, just to illustrate that. But I did mention Machine Gun Martin. It's a brand <laughs> new one. It's on your episode. So, you know, congratulations. Uh, but no, it's where we give Martin the license to throw some curveball questions at the guest as Good well. Friend. And um, so he's going to try try and I, I know you've you've done plenty of this, Elizabeth. So there's probably nothing you can't answer. <laughs> but not but Martin, with a machine gun, Martin. No, never done no, that before. It's quite late. I'll try not to be too left field. Um, okay, right. So we, we said at the start of the, the podcast, stakeholder engagement is very much a, a soft skill. It, it's people focused. What have been the main evolutions on the subject in the last 20 to 30 years what, what do we know now that we didn't know 30 years ago on, on this subject well the shift from management to engagement we've talked about already saliency model um, was a, a big development I suppose in terms of thinking about um, how people interact how different types of characteristics of people interact to make them more or, or less worthy of your time so how much power they have, how much influence they have, how much, um, you know, it, uh, what do they call it, urgency, how much urgency they're in, entitled to have over the project. So that's kind of a way of thinking. Um, I think that the, the model of stakeholder management's evolved to just be bigger. And, and that makes it harder because when I say bigger, I just mean including more things. We've become a lot more multidisciplinary in how we think about stakeholders if you go back to the old power and influence grid um you know here's my how much power do you have how much influence do you have and i'm going to tick the box that's just rubbish i mean i can't believe that we ever thought that that was the pinnacle of of how we should engage with people because i think now the thinking is a little bit more rounded and holistic and it all fits in with the idea of tailoring so so are there new models that are being taught in schools university i've definitely come across power and influence quite recently in a in a project management yep. engagement class like what, what are the new models that should be replacing this and should be we should be talking about um i think i don't know whether models are the right term um things for example like the life cycle of a stakeholder we don't think about that 
you know, we're not taught the life cycle of a stakeholder. So um, in my last book, I wrote about how actually we need to be managing the life cycle of stakeholders just as much as we're managing the life cycle of the project because people come into the project at different points and then we have to sort of, you know, onboard them and then we have to work with them and then we off, off ramp them or I don't know, whatever the word is at the end where you get rid of them and they move off and do other things. And stakeholders come on either for the duration of the project or maybe they just drop in for a particular reason because you need their expertise for a bit. So thinking about how they interact with the project, not just how the project interacts with them. But you say you say this, and then yesterday I was talking at a, um, I did a virtual presentation uh, conference, and one of the questions in the chat was, is it worth project managers building relationships with stakeholders, or is that the job of the PMO? And I was like, you have to be kidding me that somebody's <laughs> asked this question. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I've worked with stakeholders across multiple projects, sometimes with years of gap in between because you we work with them on something then your paths diverge and you do different things and then they get promoted into a different job or they take different responsibilities and so do you and your paths cross again and I have a notebook I you know I write well it's not so up to date as it could be but I'm looking up there because it's on the shelf um, of the people that I've worked with and the little things that I've picked up about them and the projects that we've shared so that if I do meet them again in five years you know I'm not going oh What's your name? It, it, well, I probably would, but you know, <laughs> I'm trying to make it easy for me to have ongoing relationships with people in a very professional work related way. Um, and it just it blew me away that someone would even ask that. So I think we've actually got quite a long way to go in talking to project managers about what it means to work effectively with our colleagues. I mean, going right back to basics. Definitely. Yeah, that's... Um... Yeah, that's uh, quite quite the challenge there, and it's yeah, it's, it's something that's, that's really important. It's all about relationships. That's, that's a lot how a lot of business and how a lot of tenders are are awarded is through those relationships, just as much as the the technical side. But another question that kind of popped into my head before we uh, before we we started was, and I need to be careful on this one. Um, so, so last year many governments held daily press conferences to give updates on the pandemic some yes. with some simple graphs some simple statistics take the politics away from a purely project management perspective how did you rate the success or failure of this approach what did they do well what could have been improved in in your view i love the idea of daily briefings and we when we were doing a couple of different projects we did daily briefings at various different points obviously you don't do it for the whole have you know two years that you're working on it but going towards go live we'd have daily team meetings when I worked in hospitals um, on particular hospital related projects we'd meet the team every morning at eight o'clock and brief them on what's happening in the day things like you know that kind of open and honest trans transmission and listening back of what's going on I think is really good so as a model yes briefings with simple data and if people have questions they should be allowed to ask them so I think that the concept behind it of being visible and being able to talk honestly and share data and tell people what's going on, I think that makes a big difference. Because in the absence of information, people make up their own information. And, you know, I've seen that happen. It's office gossip. It's like, oh, well, I haven't heard anything about so-and-so project. And then, oh, so-and-so is working on that. And they've got half the story. And then suddenly half the office believes that something bad is going to happen. or that some. And you just think the more you can be out there visible and be the face of your project and 
kind of you have to do the marketing of of what the changes that you're trying to bring in um then you you try and squash some of those rumors and the the um misconceptions that are out there so yes daily briefings i think was a, was a good idea did you think uh, using the graphics was a good idea I, I remember a few months ago we had paul gujon and he, he said those things were effectively data without analysis so you, you can take what you you mean from that statement but did you find having the graphs graphics were good bad obviously you know having the daily briefing during that time was sounds a no-brainer um, graphics yes i like the idea of graphics i think people's attention span is much shorter now and you can say a lot with a picture something as complex as what we were dealing with last year maybe we need more than just a graph <laughs> so that's where the context comes into it but if we translate that into what that would mean for the average project manager doing an average type of project then yes i think comms should include as many visual elements as possible to hit as many different learning styles and communication preferences as possible but they need to be data driven so what I like is stuff like Tableau, where you can present the front information, here's my graph, and then I'll be in a project board meeting and someone will say, but what does that mean? And I can dive into it and, okay, pull up the facts. Here's the data behind it. And not all my stakeholders will want that, but the people who are interested in it have then the option to get that next level down. And I think we didn't obviously have that in the COVID briefings because it wasn't that kind <laughs> of engagement. Um, but in a normal project situation where you've you've got access to the details people might want to know and you should be ready to present that it's brilliant when you can just answer the question straight away and you've got the data behind it to, to do it one one last one I'll, I'll bring in val after this um kind of nice follow-on from from what we said about tableau there so, so val is a huge fan of project management software just before the session he was giving me a demo of his latest toy that he was trying oh. to demonstrate how good it works from a stakeholder engagement perspective what types of software should we, we be talking about and Val can, can join in afterwards what are there oh, any good software so that, that we should be doing well or should be using is there anything quite useful I am a big fan of making it easy for stakeholders to get involved which means we gravitate to what they use and we show up when they already are so if they're already using excel we do our reports in Excel. If they're already using Tableau, we do our reports in Tableau. And maybe over the course of the project, we can introduce them to new, better, more improved tools that actually serve our purposes better. But, you know, if I'm working with stakeholders who are out on the road um, a lot, they just want some bullet points in an email they can see on their mobile phone, or they want some kind of slide deck that they can view and just flick through the pictures. They don't want loads of dashboards because it's not going to show up nicely on a mobile device. And they don't want to have to log into anything because they can't remember their password because they only use it once a month and then they forget what they're looking at and then they can't be bothered. So anything that sort of sends them email alerts saying click here to see it is one step too many for a lot of the more senior managers um, because people are so busy. So I go with the what is the easiest way that I can communicate my message in a way that means that they're actually going to understand it? And the software is almost incidental. If it's I have to ring their PA and leave a voicemail, then that is what I will do, because what is more important to me is that they get the information instead of me being able to produce a fancy dashboard. So I use Microsoft Project. I use um, I, do, I have to confess to using Excel for a lot of comms and 
look high level timelines by colouring in the boxes that I share with people because they understand it. Um, and then I use a sort of Kanban style tool for task management in my own work. And then we have over the years, I've used a whole range of project management software. And you know what? I don't think I found one that is brilliant, that does absolutely everything that I want it to do because they're all that there's there's a lot to choose from and a lot of them have very good things but I think that's probably why there are so many software tools is because companies have made their own because what's out there on the market isn't quite perfect for their exact use case anyway so I'm interested to hear what Val's latest tool is ah I'm just the tool in general uh, Elizabeth so I look I, <laughs> I think the uh I think the I mean I'm very curious and that's why I go down the software route because software tells you something about an industry because obviously you can't build software unless there's a market for it. It's very risky to build software and deploy it and market it when there's no kind of buy-in. And I guess software to a degree need to engage the stakeholders at large, which you know they call their customers, but they need to hit the, hit the mark. And it sounds like from what you're saying, they're not quite there. What are they missing? What would you like to see in software? If there's a software engineer listening to this right now and he's like, man, I need a new idea. And then okay. Elizabeth said, they're missing something. What are they missing? <laughs> well, this is, this is why I wrote a book about collaboration tools. And it's actually not really about the software. It's about how do you work together as a team to use tools and how you can work effectively with technology. And I think that's perhaps the piece that's missing is that the user experience. And I think often I see tools trying to do too many different functions and being average mm -hmm. at all of them. And I don't want average. I want best in class task management. I want best in class scheduling and um, you know predictive, algorithm driven, helpful scheduling. Not just I put in a date and then I have to type in another date. I want you know they, they, we can do so much better than that. Like I want yeah. estimate. I want range based estimates and uncertainty programmed in because most of what I do. We don't know when it's going to finish. <laughs> we, we don't really know what we're even doing. So to have to come up with an iterative style Microsoft project plan for something that's so vague and it's going to, you know, and that tells me it's going to take 263 days. I mean, of course it's not. I know that my plan is ridiculous the moment that it's written down. And the tools are slowly catching on to the idea that, you know, real life is not as easy. And I'm sure that there are many projects, I know there are many projects where actually that plan is written in stone. The concrete gets poured on the on the right day. The vans turn up with the bits of machinery. I'm sure there are many industries where actually that plan works, you know, and you have to have that level of granularity and people stick to it because that's what earned value is there to help support. Um, mm. But in a lot of the work that I do, more of sort of business change, organizational change, compliance type things where we might have deadlines, but how, how do we actually hit the deadline? is unfolding as we go then you know that kind of schedule doesn't really serve any purpose so we do a lot of rolling wave planning and iterative iterative planning sorry that mm. didn't really answer your question but yeah i think that there's no, no. doing doing the thing that you're good at and do it well and integrate with everything else i don't want you to you know to you to integrate I don't want you to have bug management software. I want to use Jira for managing bugs. I don't want you to do timesheets because I want my payroll system to do timesheets. I want just it all to, I want to use best in class for everything. Look, that is music to a project controls manager's ears, an integrated system. Oh my God. Uh, look, <laughs> we agree with you. Uh, that's, that's our bread and butter. We love that kind of stuff. And I think 
it's an interesting concept where, you know, I was just off Martin's point around the pandemic and how, you know, maybe we did do the stakeholder management piece, maybe not the engagement piece. And certainly I think the next pandemic will do much better. Um, but with regards to uh, technology now, because we're working remotely, we're obviously adopting the software and, and tools like Teams and, and Zoom a lot more. Mm. Um, engagement is a lot harder. Absolutely. It's definitely a new challenge now. And the fusion between software and how we engage our stakeholders. And, you know, I was talking to Martin off, offline, but what about if you're not just managing one project, but you're managing two or you're managing a program or you're managing a portfolio. Now you're talking about back-to-back Zoom calls and, and there's a new term kind of Zoom fatigue. Yep. How do we how do we keep people engaged when they keep their mics off, they turn their cameras off, you don't even know if they're listening. There could be multiple calls. I'm not guilty of that, but maybe I have. And so how do we still remain, you know, using those, even if it's the old school templates where you've got an Excel spreadsheet and you've got a column for what's in it for me or whatever you want to do to kind of mm. map out your stakeholders, how do we pivot that so that it's it's viable in this digital world? Well, that's a really interesting problem for people to be having. And I, I've spent the last year, most of my mentoring calls with people have been exactly this problem of, of oh, it's, we've, we've touched on how do you work remotely and not go mad and I think the, the biggest the single piece of advice that I've repeated the most is just don't have the zoom meetings speak to people on the real phone because that's a little bit of a novelty these days or have shorter meetings and don't let people you know the old school advice about meetings was you never multitask you always show up don't bring your laptop don't be on your phone I've forgotten all of that now you know if you need to multitask you do it you tune in when it's appropriate to do so if I even need you in the meeting at all otherwise I'll say you know you know Val the agenda point that you're speaking to that's going to be on at about 10 minutes after we've started the meeting so you can dial in at that point we'll use your expertise then then you drop off why are we having why people are having zoom fatigue because of the poor meeting management and nobody needs to have back-to-back meetings that's just it's it's ineffective use of people's time because then people are telling me they're then doing their work after work because they haven't mm. had the time to do their work during the actual day. So halving the times of the meetings, better meeting control, better agendas, not inviting people. Project managers sit in meetings because they're worried their team won't do the work. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a trust issue. So we start by thinking, okay, what would happen if you were just there for the first 10 minutes to set the tone and then you dialed out, you did some work. Maybe you joined back in if you wanted to check in um, towards the end that they had captured all the actions that's fine but you know what can we do to empower our people our staff our teams to actually just get on and do stuff and stop this micromanaging thinking that we have to be in every conversation and then maybe we'd have a bit more time to actually do the stuff that's valuable which will be ring that executive stakeholder on the phone and you know because you can't bump into people in the coffee room anymore Mm. you have to artificially create moments where you can have those informal chats with people so even things like making the friday stand up just not about work could you do that so there's some you know we have to be a bit more creative yeah and this is i mean i don't expect you to know the answers i mean it's a very interesting time we're living in right now with projects and we're all kind of getting our head around it i think eddie obang who we had on the show uh, a few episodes ago talked about a virtual environment where you literally Mm. were an avatar but you could free move you could have breakouts you could sit down have a yeah coffee online with someone in a virtual you, cafeteria he, that's it was cube, very isn't it? interesting he's yeah. um yeah, yeah if cube, you can get yeah. a chance to go into cube it's 
I mean, he's been doing virtual stuff for years. He no doubt he told you all of that, but it's um, yes. it's a very odd sensation to be an avatar. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> um, it is. It is. I don't know if that actually helps people. I mean, yes, it does. It is more interesting than being in a Zoom. It's a more involved and engaging environment, but you're still in front of your computer. And, you know, I can take a phone call and go and walk around the garden. And at least that feels like I'm getting a little bit of fresh air and I'm still having my conversation. You don't need to have cameras on all the time. I think it is better too. And I've just got into the habit of I just do it now, apart from earlier when you, when you rang me and I wasn't ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, but generally I just put my camera on it's I don't be bothered by it anymore you just have to get over yourself don't you yeah I, I think it, it is actually difficult still for for project managers where you know you're on a multi-billion dollar program let's say and you know you've literally worked most of it from home mm. and then you're or maybe you've started a new job you said you know the the life cycle of a of a, of a person or a stakeholder maybe you started a new job as a project manager and you've never met these people before. And yes, you can pick up the phone and, and you can have FaceTime, but you've got to somehow engage them. Yes. And let's say 50% of them don't turn their cameras on. Is there is there like a, a way to engage stakeholders or is an etiquette online? Is there a, a way to do that that yes. isn't offensive or, or um, disruptive? I did some I did an excellent course with Jan Keck. He would be a good person to chat to. He's a virtual facilitator and he talks about small engagements so you start small and then build up to something so you don't you know if people are not putting their cameras on what could we do to encourage them to to put them on for a short period of time if we want people to interact with the screen what could we do so if, if you say things like oh give me a thumbs up if you're ready to start the meeting and people will kind of go oh, a tiny thumb up so as you're the facilitator you do a giant big thumbs up right in the camera to set the tone of what you expect people to be doing and then they'll you know do a tiny one but you're at least getting people to try to you know move their bodies in response to things that you're saying so it can be you know do a reaction on the zoom put your you know the emoji hands up sign or something if they've not got their cameras on you can put things into the into the chat you could use things like um whiteboarding tools where you can they don't need to have their camera on necessarily but they can still interact and you can still see that they are communicating but the, the idea of asking for small engagements and getting to a bigger level of engagement is is what all of the you know, social media tools do. A small engagement on Facebook is I like something. A more involved engagement would be I, I write a five line response and then I save the post to my favorites. You know, I save it in my save post, whatever it is, or, or menu option. And then Facebook knows that's the kind of content that I want to engage with more and it will start to show me more of those things. So those that kind of ladder of engagement is something we can adopt as people who now have to work in a virtual world. And I, I, learn, I learn a lot from marketing and what the social media companies are doing because it works, mm. it works for them. And so, you know, a lot of, um, I was teaching a class on virtual communication the other day and we were talking about stock photos and saying, do we put them on our slides or not? Well, 40% of marketers say it doesn't help them achieve their brand goals if they use stock photos. So to me, that says they've done the research and I will learn from that, that stock photos on my slides are probably not going to be as useful as getting my message across in a project environment as a photo of the screenshot of the product that I'm working on or a screenshot of the multi-million oil and gas plant that we're building, which is much more relevant and tangible for people. 
instead of just some smiley faces at the office to fill a space on a slide. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, looking at the software companies and particularly the social media firms and how they kind of battle and navigate the field. I mean, I don't agree with everything they do, no. uh, especially when they sell my data. But yeah. look, I think there's there's some interesting concepts that you've, you've brought forward. And, you know, I guess there is a presumption that with project managers always being present in meetings and back-to-back that they don't trust their teams. But I think I think they do, you know, and I'm speaking for, you know, these are generalistic statements, but a lot of the time they're held to account for answers and they need to be, and I think there's there's an element, I think it was Dave Snowden talked about, you know, the written the written response is you know ten percent of the experience, but the actual storytelling element has to be from person to person. There's there's something tacit that's not necessarily something you can tangibly grab about talking to one person and another and telling a story rather than just giving them a piece of paper or a report or data. And I think that actually, there's something to that that tribal kind of element to stakeholder engagement, and it does build that trust. And you know, working with Dale and Martin, I know we used to use this thing called the law of familiarization is it's like, if you don't know someone, you know, increase the level of interactions you have with that particular person. Um, have you seen stuff like that? Is that useful as well for building trust and rapport with people? Yes, it is. And it's the same model that Google uses to rank websites, isn't it? No, like, and trust. So if mm. you know someone, if you like them, if you trust them, it's kind of a hierarchy of, um, yeah, how much someone is worth to you i suppose or how much the relationship is has influence over you um so yes i think that the more time you spend with people because um i can't remember who said it now but it's quite it was a quote on a book cover that was around something like you can't hate someone if they're right up close to you 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 know hate only works from a distance and it was not, not about project management at all it was a totally you know different context but that's the same kind of thing is that you you think oh the finance department they're so difficult to work with i really hate all their processes blah 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 and you sit down and you talk to them and you understand why it works like that and how it works like that and why it's beneficial that it works like that and you realize that you both have kids and you both have cats and you both like baking cakes at the weekend and and suddenly it's like oh okay how can we work together to sort out these problems and then suddenly the finance team isn't difficult at all it's just now you know them better and you've got that level of understanding on a personal level and a process level and and how it all fits together and it's yes spending time with your colleagues is important you don't have to be everybody's friend you know it's not like you have to invite them around for sunday lunch but you just need to be able to have a professional rapport I agree. I adopt a position of curiosity. And so when there is blockers and resistance in an organization, it's like, I wonder why that person is behaving like that. Or I wonder what could, what else could be going on in their lives? Because again, when people come to meetings or business events or even online, we don't know if the house is on fire or if the dog's, you know, done something in the lounge room or if the kids are trying to cook, you know, it, it could be anything. And then they get in there and they've already had five or six back to back meetings and for that one meeting, they look disengaged. And, you know, we can be very judgmental as humans, can't we? So I think Dale was yeah. the one that got me into humanizing projects. I mean, we need to think about the human behind the element, having a bit more empathy, yeah. um, thinking about reading the room rather than reading the person's behaviors and then trying to influence them. Are, are these are all elements that the, the project manager needs to switch on? Absolutely. And, um, you know, yesterday, again, at the conference, people were, there were lots of questions around how do you deal with difficult stakeholders? And when we got to the Q&A and I was addressing those, I said, Dr. Christine Unterhitzenberger from the University of Leeds, I think, um, I met her last year, and she made me think totally differently about difficult stakeholders, because her research 
points to the fact that it's people in difficult situations that present difficult behavior but they're not actually difficult stakeholders so if we label them as difficult mm. stakeholders it changes our whole way about interacting with them oh you know so and so they're a pain in the bum they're difficult but if you start to think exactly what you've just said Val, about what else is going on in their life and personal side personal stuff aside it could also just be their objectives and how their bonus is calculated is totally at odds with the project goals and they, they're perhaps in a very difficult situation work-wise under pressure from multiple different projects or, or whatever and we're suddenly turning up making them do some other thing and if we can understand yeah. why it's a challenge and get to the root of that behavior then we can perhaps modify what we're doing to alleviate that difficult situation the project finds itself in yeah agree and i think um there's something around their expectation versus reality and if you can understand what their expectation is Sometimes someone just has to unpack the reality, you know, in, yes. in, a, in a way that they can understand uh, or they need to lower their expectations. Sometimes we have ridiculous expectations. I know I do in project controls. <laughs> and when I get into a project, I'm like, oh, my uh, God, look at this place. It's a mess. Um, but uh, thank you for your time. I'll, I'll hand over to Dale. Well, a good friend of mine, she says, if you have really low expectations of people, they, they can never disappoint you. So, you know, maybe there's something in that, who knows, but anyway, but then there's the other notion that, you know, people will sort of live up to the expectation that you give them as well. So I think um, we got to just be cognizant of how people are, to be honest. Look, I know this is the short, shortened version of our usual podcast uh, length, just due to time constraints, but I just wanted to spend a minute or so, Elizabeth, on Clubhouse, because it was a big craze a few months ago, and I know you quite active or were quite active. I don't know if you still are. I did listen for a while on, on some various in various rooms and things like that. But on the topic of engagement and things like that, is that still going? Is it still a thing? What engagement level do you get in it? Clubhouse, are you still active in it? <laughs> Clubhouse was a, a big deal. And I used to do a room once a week. I would like to do that again. But over the summer holidays, um, because of family stuff and kids being off school, I really scaled back the amount of time I was spending on Clubhouse. It's a nice environment to engage with other project managers and have an actual chat like like we're doing today, but just, you know, with with 100 people in the room instead of just the four of us. Um, but to be honest, I can't believe where the year has gone. So I thought after from the beginning of September, I would be back on doing weekly rooms and it hasn't worked out. So if you are listening to this podcast and then you go across to the project management club on Clubhouse and you wonder why there's nothing scheduled, <laughs> there will be at some point. But um I suppose you need to put your engagement into where you're getting the most return in across the whole of your life projects specifically and social media for people like me who hang out on social media. And um, I've taken a backseat on most social media through September as I've been easing myself back in. And that's because I took the whole of August off and I'm planning on taking the whole of December off as well. So I have to say that while that was good, coming back to work <laughs> has been a bit of a, a bit of a panic um and that's meant that I haven't been as as present as I could be on all the social places but I, I like the idea of Clubhouse I think it probably the buzz is is hyping down now but in terms of being able to have nice conversations and finding out what's current and what people are bothered about I think Clubhouse is a good way to reach a different type of audience no, fair enough. And it's great that you share your experience as well, because I think, you know, the jury was out when it was hyped up um, a few months ago. 
and I think it has waned a little bit. So yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's for a particular audience, I, I think. Um, but you know, these podcasts are audio form as well. So exactly. there we are. I think there that just are. speaks to the fact that people want audio. Um, it's mm. it's useful. It's helpful. It's low effort to engage with because yeah. you can just have it on in the background. Yeah, mm. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Anyway, as we said, we are are struggling for time, and it is heading into the end of the podcast. Elizabeth, it's been amazing to have you. Thank you so much for your time. Before we let you go, any final thoughts? No, just thank you for having me on the show. It's been a blast. Great. It's been a pleasure having you. And um, yeah, maybe we can get you back in the future for, for some follow-ups. Bell, any final thoughts from you? No, it's a great to talk about something other than technical uh, and software, but we did manage <laughs> to get it in there. So I'm super happy we did. And uh, thanks for your time, Elizabeth. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And if people want to find out more, they can go to girlsguidetopm.com, which is where I hang out online most of the time. Um, there's loads of stuff about stakeholders there for people who are more interested in that kind of stuff than the technical things. <laughs> it's all, all important. It's all important. It, it is all important. It's all encompassing. And we will post that link in the show notes for you. So folks, that is all the time. Time is up. But remember to hit subscribe before you go. A massive thank you once again to Elizabeth Perrin, our guest. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me, Bell, and Martin, it's bye for now. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.